0: Welcome to Rock That Relationship, a podcast about all things relationship with Corey and Tracy.
1: Now let's get real and start creating relationships that rock.
0: Hello, and welcome to Rock That Relationship. We are here in season five, talking all about falling in love. We're so excited to have a conversation today with Carol McGlinchey, who's a certified regression therapist, spiritual intuitive and psychic medium. She's been trained and certified by Dr. Brian Weiss and James Van Prague. We're just, Carol, we're just beyond words to be here with you today. So thank you for being here. Um, Maybe we could start by just telling us a little bit about your background and, and what got you into this, this space.
2: Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me. It's really a privilege to be with you and your listening audience. And actually, my journey started, you know, through other lifetimes. But in this present lifetime, what really launched it was growing up in a Christian background that did not acknowledge at all the concept of reincarnation, so much immortality. That uh, I was a deep questioner from a young age Having been in a traumatic situation Which is not uncommon for intuitives Where when we've experienced trauma We tend to have heightened awareness uh, And be able to, you know, be sensitive and read people And when I was nine, I had my first past life recall And I went into a deep recall into my life As a, a slave in colonial Virginia An African-American male slave And at nine years old, I didn't know where to take that and didn't have any surroundings to support that. But I asked my mother, who was actually a Methodist minister, to get me a gospel recording. Uh, I was living in a totally white suburb of uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Had no exposure to Africans, African-Americans, or even non-Caucasian uh, populations. And when she got me a gospel album by Marian Anderson, it completely transported and took me back to that lifetime. And for those who are listening, this actually came in a dream. And if you have a memorable dream that is so graphic, so experiential, so somato-oriented, that you never forget it, pay attention, because that's more than the the nightly dreams. So that caused me to go into a deep inquiry in the meaning of life and to not just uh, absorb the whole Judeo-Christian tradition of heaven and hell and all that comes with it, and know that I really was an immortal soul. And then I was lucky that uh I began exposed in college to the African and African-American communities and felt like I was really coming home. And, and later on, or a few years later, was able to find someone to regress me. And once I regressed into that past life as a slave, everything just opened up and made sense. And at that point, I made the commitment to doing past life regression therapy And I had been a psychology and sociology major, but knew I did not want to go in traditional psychotherapy, that talk therapy was limited, that wasn't addressing the soul of the spiritual life, it was only ego-based, rather fear-based and limited. So that was the beginning, and there's no turning back.
0: I've been doing this now for 25 years. Wow. Wow. That's That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Spirit is amazing. yeah that's why
2: amazing grace is such a profound hymn, and so we have to remember it's not us who are amazing. it's spirit that we allow to come in us. that's amazing mm-hmm.
0: yeah, well, you know we're here today talking about falling in love, and really we resonated a lot with you with this idea of you know past lives informing and and being a part of our falling in love experience in our current lives and You know, both Tracy and I have learned a lot about, you know, karmic partners and karmic relationships. We've heard twin flames. We've heard soulmates. We've even used some of the language on the show here. Maybe you can help our listeners just by giving them a little bit of an overview of what are some of these, these partnerships or what are some of these roles or or, or these terms, just so we can all understand maybe what your perspective is on the differences.
2: First of all, I do speak from my own perspective and bias and clinical experience, So take what you want and leave the rest, but uh, i spent a whole lifetime of inquiry around this. And first of all, when we're talking about relationships, the first and most important relationship is with yourself. Are you willing to fall in love with yourself? No matter the preacher-teacher parent tapes, no matter the thought and belief systems, the crazy-making tapes that we have that say we're not good enough, before we even talk about relationships, the primary relationship is with the self. We are immortal souls. We are not just in one ego-based lifetime. And we travel in soul groups. So you would like me to define that a little bit? Soul groups, twin flames? Yes. Yeah, that That's would be great. helpful. This is my own personal bias, but I've spent, you know, pretty much my adult lifetime studying this probing it in my own uh, past life experience, as well as with my thousands of clients that I've worked with. So it's a real fallacy and a disservice in our very corporate American capitalistic culture to keep pushing the notion that we have to find a soulmate, that we have one soulmate and it's always romantically connected. And of course the love industry loves to play into this to keep us unhappy and always having to buy more and do more and try and figure out more of how do I find my soulmate? There are many soulmates for you in this lifetime. And I've also had the privilege of, start of studying with Dr. Michael Newton from the Newton Institute. And he's discovered a type of therapy where it's called life between lives regression therapy, where after we die and before we plan our next incarnation, we review the previous life and plan what, what, what issues were there. Um, what karma was finished, what karma was created and how am I going to reincarnate and where and how and with whom to work these things out. So I found that my teachings and my training with him helped me understand the best about the concept of soul groups that we, tra- and his books, by the way, are called journey of souls and destiny of souls. Are his two first books and he's had several since then, although he is deceased now, but I feel like he's been able to articulate this best from his clinical evidence. So we don't just have one soulmate that we're looking for in our present incarnation. We travel in soul groups and I look at it as like a Venn diagram. We have a primary soul group, but then we have those overlapping soul groups that are, you know, peripheral that come in and out. So we have many soulmates. So, you know, or soul contact, soul family, however you want to define it, that we are bonded with through lifetimes. And in our love for each other, we are willing to practice tough love of being the person who will incarnate to help you grow, maybe in an adversarial way as well. Yeah. So that's basically soul groups. And the one that's the most bonded to you, that you have the easiest relationship with, the one you consider your most bonded soulmate, will oftentimes come in and reincarnate and not create a romantic couple relationship with you because they know that there's less growth in that. So they'll pass it by so that you have to be with someone that you have more karmic agreements with or karmic debt with. So that to me, is soul mates. Twin flame is a different level, and I feel it's very analogous to the biological concept of identical twins that come from the same egg. So in my own experience, my own belief, I believe that we are all immortal light beings. And if we look at the physical sun, we know it's the sun that gives us life. The sun salutation that I do every morning, you know, in the yoga practice, saluting the sun for another day of life. But when we look at that sun, we have to realize that in order for us to be here in human form, we are actually soul lights ourselves. We are a piece of that divine light. So each person, and this goes back to Dr. Newton's work, when we incarnate, we still keep some of our soul light essence in the spiritual realm. If we took it all into the human body. We might not have enough to access. Uh, perhaps you've heard of the silver cord when you're and you have a silver cord that goes out in your astral body, uh, in astral travel. I don't, it's a, I don't want to go too deep into that, but that's the idea is you're, you're, you're connecting to that soul light that's still in the etheric realm. So with the concept of twin flames, you actually come from the same soul light essence, and you split just like a, a, a biological identical twin does. And just as there are not a lot of identical twins in the human population, same for twin flames. I've been very, very blessed that I have a twin flame who has greatly informed my work. And if you're interested, I can explain more as we go along around that. So the twin flame is unique. Um, it doesn't happen for everyone, but it's very precious, but it's also painful because it's like a twin that doesn't ever want to be separated. You know, like dinacle twins, they, they, they're joined at the hip. So those are the ways that I look at soulmate, soul group, twin
1: flame. Okay, so we're really getting into this and I've just started exploring this in the last like, I don't know, two years or so. Um, and you keep saying, you know, this is what I believe. How do you deal with uh, if people are doubting, right? And they say, oh, this is ridiculous or, um, and I've been telling people recently, like, I don't know if this is 100% true, but it makes me actually feel better, like looking at the world in this way that we're not so limited, right? Or that each, you know, maybe difficult relationship doesn't have to be, oh, this is so awful. But yeah, I'm going through this so I can learn something from it versus, oh, it's just terrible. We should never have, you know, uncomfortable interactions with others,
2: First of all, I don't proselytize. I've been very clear on that from the beginning because our Western, uh, society has taken away the whole importance of spiritual life. We are, we are probably one of the most spiritually impoverished nations on the planet. So it's very hard if you've been, you've been raised in this culture, and especially if you're a Caucasian and you don't come from an indigenous or another uh, immigrant culture to understand this. It's very easy to play play into a victim mentality. So for me, I always tell people, whether I'm doing spiritual intuitive readings or working with past life work, take what you want and let go of the rest. If it doesn't resonate, if it doesn't fit yet, that's fine. took me many, many years since age nine, and I'm 73 now, to get to where I am today. And that deep level of self-acceptance and no fear of death, because I go, wow, You know, what a journey I've been on. I am an immortal soul. And yeah, I'm a jerk at times, and I disappoint myself and other people. I've had, you know, difficult relationships, but so what? Look at how much I've grown from that. Look at how I've learned to love and accept and forgive myself. And once I do that, I can extend it to others. So I don't worry about people whether they want to believe or embrace this or not. I know with Dr. Brian Weiss's books, they're fabulous and they're classic now. And his first book was called Many Lives, Many Masters. And he's a pioneer in past life regression therapy. And when I read his book, I went, that's it. I'm in. I'm training with you. Because for me, it put all the puzzle pieces together that I knew since age nine, but didn't have enough people to validate, didn't have enough experience. Uh, and and I, I wasn't even able to go to graduate school simply because I knew it would be a waste of time to go to graduate school in in any kind of psychotherapy, psychology, because I already knew of far more than what's taught in graduate schools around the soul and the necessity when we're doing healing work to understand our immortality and our soul life and not just work with ego-based, fear-based survival need, psychotherapy. So that's my path, but it's not for everyone.
1: It's so interesting for me. And I think for Corey as well, we just keep having more and more of these experiences. And I had a lot of those kind of what you described earlier. When I was a kid, I would have dreams about Russia and about Vietnam. And I was a little kid in the Midwest. Like there's no reason I would have those dreams. And then you kind of grow up and you put that stuff aside and then stuff starts to happen. I think as you get older and the more kind of healers I go to or intuitives, it's like little puzzle pieces are unlocking in my brain. You know, somebody says something, I'm like, that really makes sense. It makes sense based on what happened and my interactions with people. Like there are some people I have a really strong reaction to, you know, and I'm like, well, why? And then I, you know, look at it or I go and talk to someone and they're like, well, this happened. It really makes a lot of sense, you know, and I think it can alleviate a lot of the suffering. You say, you know, this Western culture of, oh, you've got to have one soulmate. you got to have one partner, And I've said this before, you know, I'm 53. I've been in relationships since I was 20. And this is the first time I've ever been truly single. And like, I love it. And I didn't think I would. I never thought I'd be single and I never thought I'd like it. Right. But it's allowing me so much more freedom and, and less pressure to have to have somebody else because you
2: fell in love with yourself.
1: Yes. I mean, sort of (laughs) almost, I still have a few. I'm working at it. Exactly. And, and putting up, like being able to not feel that pressure, you know, we, this, this season is about falling in love. And I know that a lot of people feel that pressure. Oh, my friend's dating and Corey's dating. Everybody's dating. I'm not dating anybody. I must be a loser, you know? And I think this really helps alleviate so much of that. And it makes sense, but you have to really open yourself to it. I think, you know,
2: is if anything gets understood by this talk that we're having today is that you are your own best Valentine. You need to love yourself. I have another blog. I know you found me through my blog post and my, my blog on soulmates, but I also have another blog called you are your own best Valentine Mm -hmm. that it's a cruel It's just a really cruel cultural phenomenon to say you have a soulmate. Because the majority of people end up feeling very unfulfilled, like I screwed up, I missed the boat, why can't I have love? That is really a disservice to everyone. And there are, you know, I'm, it's very fascinating that the two, two of my mentors that I really respect and work with, Dr. Newton and Dr. Weiss, they both had really wonderful soulmate relationships with their wives. And I'd met them, the wives, too, and talked to them. And what was interesting is Dr. Weiss and Dr. Newton were pioneers in the field of past life regression therapy and life between lives regression therapy. And they took a really hard hit because they risked their whole careers by going outside of the norm. Uh, Dr. Weiss was a uh, MD psychiatrist at Mount Sinai in Miami with, with young children. Could have lost his license.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and he could not turn back from the truth and knew he could never practice psychotherapy again like he had. But what they have both said is, in order to do the pioneering work, they needed really great partners to back them up. And I'm a Capricorn, so I'm biased about this, but both Carol Weiss and Peggy Newton are Capricorns. And Brian being a Scorpio and Michael being a Sagittarius. And they said to me that they would have never been able to go out there and do the pioneering work and do all the speaking, write all the books, if they did not have that constant, loving, soulmate, wife... Capricorn in that case that kept them grounded, that gave them that home space. And if they had had to work out karmic conflict with a relation in a relationship issue, they wouldn't have had the freedom to go and do the broader pioneering spiritual work. So they're a good example of why, you know, Brian met his wife when he was 19, you know, it's a wonderful story out in the Catskills and, and they knew from that moment on and they've been together ever since, but that's I think a little unusual. I don't think it's the norm. And they understood from their perspective of we had really important pioneering work to do that was going to take a lot of our life force. We were going to have to, you know, take a lot of risk. We needed the stability of a solid, strong, loving relationship in order to go out in the world and do that work. Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, Capricorn Leo combination, mm-hmm. shining example of how michelle sacrificed for her husband to do the the bigger work so that to me is where you can sometimes have an easier soulmate relationship but that's not the norm in my opinion yeah so i think
1: great all by yourself tracy thank you thank you
2: (laughs) I, i am happy to be single now um, I don't feel like I'm missing out, although I take great joy being at my age where I was in the hippie group where only 50% of us stayed married, 50% were divorced. So I have friends now in their seventies who've been married 50 plus years mm-hmm. and I take great joy in seeing them and, and knowing that they're happy. However, when you're single and you learn to be on your own better and more and depend on yourself, you don't go through the angst of a long, you know, long-term married couple when one dies before the other predeceases them. It's a huge huge challenge. It's a huge pain to get through. So I say I'm ahead of the game because I'm not going to have to go through that. But I have so many friends that when that happens,
0: yeah. They're going to have
2: to do some deep soul work that they haven't had to do yet, but I was forced to do through divorces and through my own traumas and relationship issues.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um I gosh, I really I really resonate with that idea about um you know, connecting with a partner who is in some ways there not to be your karmic force of lesson learning so you can do other things. I think that's really interesting. Um, when, well, Gandhi's we, another one, you know, with Gandhi, yeah. you know, he was, he was married. I did not know he was married. He
2: was married and he had a child too. And then at some point in his spiritual development, in his work, he said to his wife, if you want to stay with me, you have to now renounce being married as a wife, that you are mm-hmm. just going to treat her like anyone else that I encounter. Because I am now beyond this, you know, marriage bond of the ego-based marriage relationship. You can stay if you want, but know that I'm not going to devote more time to you as a wife than I am to all the other people I'm here to serve.
1: Wow. Wow. I'm
0: not going to go look up more stuff on Gandhi, but I did want to ask you a question about thinking about our current, current relationships and past life stuff in general is, you know, I've had experiences. I, I've been highly intuitive since I was, well, as, since I can remember as a little child. And, um, I just, I just know, and I know other people I'm sure know that when, sometimes when you meet someone, you just feel like you've known them forever. Right. And then other people you meet and you're like, Ooh, I'm getting kind of a bad feeling and they're not doing anything different in terms, there's nothing alarming about their behavior, but I'm thinking about our, our current relationships. Like how might past past lives influence like who we might meet and that kind of instinctual gut feeling we get right from the beginning i mean some people say like the good one is called love at first sight i don't know if that's what it would be but some kind of either really strong attraction or in some ways like a really strong repulsion and this has nothing to do with people's physical look or anything but just that feeling what how might past lives relate to that or does it at all
2: well yes yes it does and i can you know reference my twin flame Her name is Sarah, and I had the blessing of meeting her when I was 22 in this lifetime. And I was out of college. I was going through a lot of pain trying to figure out how to go forward in my life because I didn't want to do the mundane, you know, typical psychotherapy or, you know, be be in the mainstream world, but I was really struggling. And my roommate came home one day and said, do you believe in God? And I said, well, yeah, of course I do. She says, well, I want to take you to meet someone who was her psychic intuitive counselor. So, we went to visit Sarah, and the minute we saw each other, that was it. I was twenty two she was 20 um uh, twenty three years older, and we were together like bonded until her death um and but because she's a twin flame, that's an even deeper relationship so i I like to pay tribute to her. she's in my blog post when i do do talk because she's here with me now, and as she was passing from her physical body, she held my hands and said. I'm going to transfer all my energy to you now. I want you to continue my work too. And I felt her merge into my body. And she's actually, uh, people. I, I am not a, clairaudi- a clairvoyant, so I don't see spirit, but I hear spirit. And people have seen her here in my home, and she worked for me in my office. So we didn't have to sever that bond just because she physically left. But that's a little different level. That's a twin flame level where that vibration is so strong that it's, you cannot cut it. Now, on to, there's a couple of answers, layered answers to this. So there's two different ways to look at this. I'll address the non-past life one first. As we spiritually evolve, we vibrate at different frequencies. And you know if someone's heavily drug-addicted or alcohol-addicted, you, you may have an aversion to that frequency level because they can't fully meet you. Uh, because of what's happening in their brain. So you may find that you don't really want to hang with them if you're, you know, sober and not addicted. But addicted people are going to hang out together because they're on the same vibrational level. Now, they may not have past lives together, but they have a commonality in the present life, vibrational frequency. You know, a smoker loves to go out and take a smoke break with a smoker or an addict with an addict or someone that's, uh goes to a particular church. You know it's more to hang out with all the people who go to that church and have the same beliefs. I don't feel that that's necessarily past life related more it's more vibrationally related. it's a level of that you're vibrating at in your own spiritual evolution now. However, there are people that you can meet and they have they are from past life and again, that's if you true choose that portal to understand immortality in your soul's progression through lifetimes. You can do past life regression therapy and see and affirm the connection, whether it's a love, love loving connection or antipathy and a warning. Yes, you can do that. And as for reference, if someone wants to delve into this more, one of the other great books that Dr. Brian Weiss has written is called Only Love is Real. And he addresses the entire soulmate experience in Only Love is Real from a clinical experience he had with two people who came in for past life work with him, and he discovered that they were husband and wife in another lifetime. So that's the other layer. And I don't think it's absolutely essential to prove that someone's had a past life with you if you're attracted to them, you feel this vibrational compatibility. Um, but it's fine. You know, it's the point is... Respect and honor how you feel. Now, if you're vibrating in a particular frequency where you spend a lot of time with meditation, you have a very clean lifestyle, you know, you're very clear, but there's someone there who is really troubled, who's not of your same vibrational level, and you want to help them. Of course you want to help them, but you don't have to be in partnership with them and have them suck your soul and take too much from you.
0: Yeah,
1: that but makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it does. Okay, so let's say you do have that connection with someone, which I have had, and then it's like a total disaster, and people are like, What are you doing? But you're like, I cannot break it. Like I can't there is something about this person I just cannot break free from. And and those two things, those experiences I've had, I've I've talked to a psychic and then an astrologer and also an Akasha healer. And all of them said pretty much the same thing about those people. Like those three, the Akasha healer, and psychic and the astrologer don't know each other and they don't know. I never say anything other than the person's name. Maybe it's one other detail, but um pretty much it's all, they've told me that I've known this person before. One they said was a twin flame and one was a, you know, karmic partner and, It's very frustrating, I think, for outside people to see it. But it's like when you're in it, you just can't. I I had a really hard time breaking away. And I have wanted to help these people. And that doesn't work. It's not worked for me.
2: By saying, because the karmic agreement or the karmic debt isn't complete yet. When it's complete, you will know and you will feel more confident to break and sever the relationship. Now, I have, again, another bias that I have is I want people to experience for themselves. So I don't encourage um, Akashic record reading per se because that's feeds your more of your left brain as information, ego-based information. Oh well that, because I, I consider reading someone's Akashic records a bit of a boundary violation. But that's because I specialize in past life regression therapy. And I learned this early on as, as a clinician myself that in my early regression sometimes I would get an intuitive hit that someone had a particular past life, and I felt like I wanted to tell them about it or lead them to it. And then I realized they weren't ready for that past life. That was not the one they needed to see yet. They needed to peel off their own layers and and go to the past life in their own time frame, their own sequence. So I'm not in favor of a psychic or an Akashic reader or someone telling you, oh, this is why. I want you to discover it yourself, and that's why I specialize in past life regression therapy. Yes, I can give you an intuitive reading to say, yeah, that person, obviously, it looks like that person is very toxic to you. You know, what do you want to do about it? That's on the ego plane. But that's where I'm coming from with this. And I'm going to take a moment, because I think you both said you're both lesbian, so you have to work with the, you know, those issues, societal issues, too. So I'm going to tell something that's very personal to me and allow myself to be vulnerable because the person I'm talking about is actually already deceased and in spirit. And I feel like he would give me permission. So I had two very karmic marriages. They were, they were troubled. Um, hard work, but I was lucky because I do past life regression therapy that I saw their past lives together. I knew why we come together, what I had to learn from and then move on. And then finally, my third relationship, I was in a healthier place. I was more mature. Um, we came together and we, we really did very well together. Um, because we both come from similar backgrounds, you know, we both had a lot of pain and trauma, but we were at a maturational level of trying to help each other. And I'm heterosexual in this lifetime and always have been. It's just who I am. And he presented as a very macho guy who was a truck driver, which should have been a red flag if anyone knows that mm-hmm. lifestyle. But I didn't at the time. And right in early in our relationship, when he first jumped in with me, um, one night my computer wasn't working properly. And I said, look, I need to go Google something about this movie. Can I use your computer? And as soon as I did, in my ineptness, when I went to click on a link, it clicked on a gay group that he was in where he was, you know, trolling for guys. And I thought I was going to have a heart attack on the spot. I was so shocked. I was like, whoa, I mean, this guy completely fooled me. Fast forward, we, you know, discovered he was bisexual. A lot, I'm not going to go into a long history of it, but I went, whoa, okay. All the, I had two such difficult, painful karmic marriages. This guy's come along. It's a much healthier relationship. We're really, you know, kind of a much more of an egalitarian, helping partnership, why do I have to have to deal with this now? So I immediately went to another past life regression therapist and went, okay, this guy presented as heterosexual, um, he wanted to be my partner, and, you know, everything's going well, and then I discovered that he's really playing on the side and he's bisexual. Why? And I go back into a past life where I had been a gay cowboy out in the West, and I was full of myself. And I rode into these little Dodge, Dodge City towns, you know, the old, you know, the old, uh, see those old stage settings with the old grocery stores and whatnot. And I was having a little liaison with a little chubby uh immigrant grocer who was married and had children and running the grocery store. And I ride in on my horse. I mean, I was a real dude, you know, full of myself. And I just, you know, I was promiscuous, big guy. And that day... I come by, and he's in the grocery store, and his eyes are pleading with me, please, 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 don't come in. Don't betray me. Can't you see my wife and kids are here? And that grocer was this man in my present life,
1: Hmm.
2: okay? So as soon as I saw that I had been the one that was gay and promiscuous and didn't care enough because I was into that, you know, promiscuous gay lifestyle – I didn't care enough that I could really injure his relationship with his wife and kids, that he had to come back to teach me. And that when he came back as the macho truck driver, once I understood that, we, we stayed together three, five more years after the discovery of this. And it was a, it was a really deep growth for both of us, um, that I'm very grateful for so that may be a little too deep for some people but that's how these things work and if you can be mature enough to not help the other person wrong well, why you know finally I find someone that I can love no nah, no nah, nah, why did he have to betray me you know nah, 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 and play victim it's like no karmic balancing and i'll never that's what I love about the depth because when you do a past life regression you feel it in every cell of your body it's happening right now i can feel myself on that horse being that guy who was full of himself
1: so interesting is that what you would consider a soul contract then like you guys agreed okay we're going to come back and or is that different
2: no i call that a soul contract or a karmic agreement Hmm. because in all the people in the universe when i decided after 17 years of celibacy and raising my child alone and recovering from being sexually abused by a pedophile now the child my wonderful mentor and trainer said, look, you know, you really should not just have sex until you heal from this. And then this man comes forward, and he's the first person I have sexual relationships with in 17 years, and then I have to work with that wound. I mean, when I decided to start dating again, why is he the one that showed up? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, these online, you know, when you go on online now, there's so many people you can pick from to date. He's the one that... You know, immediately when I signed up on this dating website, you know, within a week or two, we, we found each other.
1: Well, Corey, I mean, so this is, I hate to just be so, um, domineering about this conversation, but it's so interesting because I got in a dating app after my divorce and I saw a person who I thought, oh, she looks nice, but then there were things that she like smoking and things that normally I don't have anything to do with. And I was about to swipe, you know, away. So not interested. And it was as if. Something came into my head and said, do it's, I literally heard these words, do not pass her by. And then we end up dating only very short lived eight months, but I was told, you know, we were twin flames is a very intense relationship. I'd never heard that term twin flame before. And we really mirrored each other. I was what she wanted to be. And she was in a lot of ways, what I used to be like. And it really helped me to move forward, you know, to be different in relationships.
2: But I, I think we need to move with caution with the twin flame concept, because I think just like soulmate, that's thrown around too much as though with a lack of misunderstanding. Like I said, a twin flame is okay. like your like twin. Um, but I want to make, because you said she came in briefly, again, referencing Dr. Michael Newton, who is, does life between lives regression therapy. He's the one that explains in the best way the soul groups that we incarnate with. And he tells a wonderful story that's in one of his books. That he 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 received from one of his clients. And what happened was there was a woman who was in a you know very bad psychological state. And she had decided that day she was going to die by suicide. And this she she was, I don't know where she was, but she was out walking somewhere, and this man, right on the street, on the sidewalk, comes by her, he stops, they have a conversation, he touches her heart so deeply that she decides she's not going to kill herself well it turns out that he was one of her soul group members who had agreed to reincarnate with her but the agreement was just to show up that one day right when she was going to take her life it can be one day it can be one moment a one one smile one hug or it can be 50 years
0: wow so so when I think about when you're talking about these kind of soul contracts or these karmic agreements too, um, are there instances, I, I mean, or or maybe just share what your thoughts are on this, but, but people who maybe have some kind of a karmic agreement and they come back and they, but they don't resolve it. And then they, they just keep going lifetime to lifetime. Does that, does that happen where you just don't resolve it, but you, maybe you try and you recognize like, I mean, I had a relationship where I'm like, this is definitely someone who is a karmic partner. I was, we were, we were meant to learn something from each other. I feel like it's unresolved and incomplete. Maybe we'll work it out in this lifetime. Maybe we won't. Will we see each other again and try again? How, do, how does that work? So there we
2: have to address free will. And that's one of the gifts we're given as human beings is that when we're in human brains, human incarnations, we have free will. So everyone has free will. So you may have been willing to continue on to work out the karmic agreement, and the other person needed to take a break and stop. So with the free will, you can't force the other person and go, wait a minute, maybe this karmic agreement, is not resolved yet. So that's where you respect that you move on. I know someone's going through that right now, where the other one lacks the insight, uh, and it looks like a very definite karmic agreement. And she's very clear, when this particular thing happens, she will know she's finished. Her comic agreement is finished. Now, he, in his own attachment to swords, may try and cling, may try and shame, may try and, you know, vic- get play victim and try and reel her back in. But she is very clear that that was the karmic agreement. She had to put up with a lot of abuse during that whole time period when she made that agreement. And she is going to free herself now as soon as that step is taken. It's not her responsibility to deal with his issues or his unfinished business. So you have to honor the other's free will.
0: Mm-hmm. So can one partner, like or, or one person of the of the karmic relationship, can they come to a resolve without the other person coming to yes. a resolve? Absolutely, yes, because if your soul still in the work. I
2: remember with my first marriage, I was married to the concept of marriage. I was very young. I was very naive. And um I, I just wanted, I thought I, you know, I'm supposed to be married for life. And it was a very, very difficult relationship. And a friend who was struggling with alcoholism and was doing a lot of spiritual growth was a really wise woman. And sometimes people who've gone through real deep addiction tend to be the most spiritual people because they've had to go to the abyss and come out of it. And she came to visit me one day and I was in tears and I was like, oh, she goes, Carol, she said, if you end the relationship when the karmic agreement is met, the karmic debt is paid, there are no tears. If you try and keep the the relationship going, then the tears come. And I'm not even sure to this day I totally understand what she said. I mean, you could tease it out and kind of ruminate on it, but it freed me. She said, stop crying, move on, you paid your debt. Regardless of how he acts, regardless of how wounded you feel. And ironically, to this day, I am still very close to my sister-in-law and my nephew. um, Because they treasured me, they knew what a difficult man he was and the difficult relationship I had with him. And when I did divorce him and move on, they still, to this day, thank me and cherish me for who I am. And the relationship I had with him, he literally died, you know, without necessarily working out all his karma. But when we were divorcing, he very wisely said, you know, he says, "This is before I was a past life regression therapist." He said, "You know, I know I'm coming back for sure because I, I, I I've definitely fucked up enough in this lifetime. Uh, You know, I know I'm, to, I'm going to definitely have to come back." Now he said that, you know, that was his mm-hmm. like, and and I, and I, I really respected him for saying that.
1: I think a lot, do you think a lot of people know more than they realize they know or that, you know, it's like the feelings that they have, like it's in there. People say that jokingly. Oh, I'm coming back. You know, my mother once told me, if you don't get through this, if you just, you know, like kill yourself or run off, then you're, you're just going to have to deal with this in the next life. And that always stuck with me. Like it kind of bugged me. And yet it's like informed my whole you know, life, but it's taken till I'm 53 to really start looking into all this spiritual stuff.
2: Yes. I, you know, I, I agree with that. And I think we know more than we realize, but again, we live in a very corporate capitalistic based spiritual society. Those of us living in the United States, I mean, we have to work hard to not be totally sucked in by a fear-based, ego-based monetary greed-based culture that does everything it can to prevent you from having this information. So a lot of this idea of reincarnation is suppressed and has been for centuries in the Judeo-Christian tradition especially. So that's why you, you find your tribe. You seek out people who understand. When I do intuitive readings, the first thing I say is, do you want me to tell you what you want to hear or what you need to hear? And if they say want to hear, I won't work with them. Because they're looking for the palm reader, the tarot reader, give them them the magic, you know, say, oh, yes, he's going to leave his wife for you. I don't want to work on that level. I want to tell you what you need to hear and what spirit has to offer you. But when I do the intuitive readings, I say the best readings, in my opinion, are when the person at the end of reading says, oh, thank you so much for confirming that. That's what I was feeling. That's the action I I wanted to take. But I was doubting myself. And now spirit has confirmed that I really did know. And this is the best choice for me. That's on the ego plane. But then back to, you know, the, the other level you're talking about around past lives. It's like me at nine years old having the dream and not being able to, you know, really articulate it and put words to it. But I knew something was much, much deeper, much more profound than the superficial life I was leading. And I remember very vividly going into the bathroom, looking in the mirror Deeply into my eyes and going, who are you? Where did you
0: come from?
2: We all have that awakening at some point. Unfortunately, if we get too caught up in the mundane, in the fear-based, I have to work to pay my bills, and then if you get tired at night, you want to like drink and drug and numb out. Well, you can stay on that on that merry-go-round if you want to, and it's okay. You know, you raise your kids, you have your Your career you pay your bills you have food and shelter fine but there comes a point for many people that they want more and that's when they come to me they want the deeper meaning of life and not to make our culture wrong because there's a lot wonderful things i thank every myself every day in my gratitude journal that i live in a safe community and have have you know food and shelter we don't want to forsake what does work but we know there's so much more that would really keep us
1: in a state of inner peace and happiness. So what can we do? So to break, can we break these negative past life patterns in relationships? Like what should we be doing? What can we do so that we can have healthier relationships with ourselves, with our spiritual life and with other people?
2: It's self-awareness. It's just like the example I use with my partner, where I realized that I could play victim, I could get pissed off, I could make him wrong, I could force him to leave. I mean, the night I found out, he said, oh, look, if you want me to move out tomorrow, I will." And I said, "No, we're going to work this through. We're going to learn and grow from this." You see, it all—it depends on your perspective. You know, you—you you have your the responsibility of your thoughts and your beliefs. And I think one of the most difficult patterns to break is victimization. And that's why I love doing past life regression therapy. When you've seen that you've been rich, poor, male, female, you know, various different cultures, religions, you know, ethnicities, that you've killed or been killed, you know, you've ripped someone off or been ripped off, whatever it may be, but it all balances out. And when you see that, you're like less likely, and, and of course you don't want to, the, the, the sad part is, is people that believe there's only one life. This is it. And then they get very fearful of death, and then they can't live, mm-hmm. because they're always mm-hmm. scared of death. And that's the, you know, the Hindus and, and the Buddhists understand that there's reincarnation. Mm-hmm. It was part of the tenets of the Judeo-Christian tradition in the spiritual text, and it was expunged when the church hierarchies Realize that they needed to control people more, and if people knew that they they would die, they would reincarnate, and they, if they hadn't finished their unfinished business, they could then they couldn't control and that's when the Catholic Church started confession, for example, you know, and as long as you get tainted by that, you don't have enough autonomy to realize, wait a minute, I am in control of how I view the world and how i if I want to be victim or I want to be sovereign and know that I am responsible. For my well-being, and if I feel loved or not, it's not for another person to come and make me feel whole if I feel unwhole. And that's where we get in real trouble with this idea of romantic relationships and with attachment disorders. Um, and and you, Tracy, and I are in this place of okay. You know, I'm really good enough living alone. I'm lovable. Maybe no one's going to hug me today, or kiss me, or tell me I'm lovable, uh, or cuddle with me in bed. But so what? I wake up and go, well, Carol, you're amazing. Look Mm -hmm. at all you went through. And I love you. You're precious. When you can get to that place, you're free.
1: Yes, I feel like that. I'm actually on vacation in Wyoming, and I used to live here. And I've just had an incredible time. I'm just here with my rental car, staying with friends, but doing my own thing. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, I'm happy. Like, I'm happy doing my thing. And without the constraints of another person or that pressure. Not that I don't, you know, I may get into a relationship in the future, but I don't feel that I need it anymore. And I really did want and need it before. And it and it has helped me to grow a lot. But you said I wanted and needed it before. Why do you feel you needed it? I think. What was your mindset
2: that that life wasn't good enough on your own, that you needed it? What were you looking for?
1: I think that it, a lot of it was societal. One of my exes always says, I, you always said you wanted to be single and you're so much happier single because you, because I have a lot more energy than a lot of people. I'm up and about. I'm wanting to do a hundred different things, but I felt, and I do, I have loved every person I've been with, which is like eight of them. And I love them a lot, but it, 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 there was always conflict and it was mostly over lifestyle stuff. And then what, you know, would come out of my mouth and, I'm doing a lot, a lot of work about that, but it is true. It it felt more, I I always viewed it as I just was that person that got in a relationship. But now that I'm not in one, I do feel that it was a need for another person.
2: So now you're your own best soulmate, aren't
1: you? Yeah. I really, I really felt that this week. I just, it's like, it's like my head's just exploding with happiness. I just feel really happy, you know? Not that I can't share that with them, but I don't yourself,
0: mean to.
2: You're giving yourself permission to be happy in spite of societal expectations.
1: Yeah, it's true.
2: Good for you. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's wow. a real, it's really a lot of growth, but you know, my therapist calls it the F at fifties. Like, you know, after you're 50, you just don't care anymore. And, and I think that's true, but I also am like, I'll do all the work. I'll, I'll see, you know, but I don't, I'm not beholden to anyone anymore. That's where I feel truly free.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, this has been an amazing conversation and um, Carol, it has been such a delight to hear your perspectives and all of your ideas. And I'm sure our listeners are going to, this is going to just, you know, blow their minds and then they're going to go out and look at a whole bunch of books and blogs and everything to learn a whole lot more. So maybe you could give us some insight. You gave us a lot of resources. I'll put those in the show notes, but if our listeners want to learn more about you and what you're doing, what's on the horizon for you right now, what are you doing in in this kind of space? Are you still doing, you're doing readings or, or how can they find you? Those kinds of things.
2: I work in private practice and I work from my home so that people have a really safe space to do the deep work that they want to do. I also work by phone. I do past life regression therapy, life between lives regression therapy, spiritual intuitive readings, and occasionally, but not as often, I will connect people to their loved ones in spirit as a psychic medium. But I'm trying to phase out of that because I want them to do the real deeper work. So uh, my website is spiritmessages.org. And they can contact me carol at spiritmessages.org. But before we close, I want to give everyone some homework because I think this is the essence of our conversation today. When people come to me, we all have self-loathing, self-esteem issues, you know, all the frustration around relationships. It's a big, big topic of conversation. But I literally have a hand mirror in my office And at some point in our work together, I will say, please hold the mirror to you. And can you say, I love you, Corey. I love you, Tracy. I love you, Carol. From the bottom of your heart, and mean it. And some people, because it's got a handle on it, will quickly flip it to the side. No, I can't do that. I can't do that. And I say, then how do you expect someone to come into your life and love you? If you can't love yourself, And when I do the past life work, I'll watch the transformation because it's a three hour session. And at the end, I will hand them the mirror and they will see the transformation on their face. Mm -hmm. The soft, the softening, the eyes are sparkling. And then they can look in the mirror and go, wow, I love you. Mm -hmm. So everyone who's listening, I invite you after you hear this podcast, go to a mirror. In the morning when you first wake up and you've got a bedhead and you look like hell, or in the evening when you're tired and you've got bags under your eyes, look in the mirror and keep doing this until you can really do it sincerely. Look in your eyes. Look at the bags under your eyes. Look at the wrinkles. Look at the sadness. Look at the pain. Look at all you've carried over your lifetime and lifetimes and go, I love you and mean it. And it took me years to do this, especially now as I age. And I wake up in the morning and go, oh, my God, look at your face. You're getting so old, you know. And then I stop and I go, wow, but of course it looks like that. Look at what you've been through. And you've learned to love yourself through all the pain, the broken relationships, the hurts. Aren't you amazing? So please, everybody, after you listen to this, go to the mirror. And without hurrying it, even if the tears fall, look in your eyes, which are the mirror to your soul, and say, I love you. And when you can do that from deep sincerity, you will not feel such a need to be looking for that so-called soulmate, that perfect external romantic relationship. You will have fallen in love with yourself and then more
0: love can follow from that. Wow. Wow, that's that's a beautiful beautiful kind of call to action for people. I I love that. I'm going to go try it. <laughs> well, thank you again, Carol. Thank you Tracy again for being on and having our our lovely conversation. And to all of our listeners out there, go out there and rock those relationships. If you liked what you heard, check out our show notes for resources from today's episode. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Rock That Relationship and go to our website at
1: rockthatrelationship.com for updated episodes and more great information. Thanks for listening. Now go rock those relationships.